Hello there! It's Friday, which means it's time once again for the best movie podcast ever, the only movie podcast to offer objective and hyperbole-free discussion of every movie in the known universe. I am your host, the podcaster with no name, Conrad, and with me as always, he's addicted to you and you know that you're toxic, it's Anthony James. <laughs> good afternoon, good evening, good night. I love these quotes. Co- these quotes are coming out of everywhere. Like, yeah, I've just, I, 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 I've taken the gloves off for these for these quotes now. I was, at first, I was like, you know what? I'm going to try and keep this, keep the quote relevant to the movies. Well, actually, no. I'll take a step back from that. That quote is relevant to a movie we will discuss this week. Okay. But it's also obviously a line from a Britney Spears song as opposed to a song from a movie. So, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm a man of the arts. <laughs> you know, I can't, I can't be constrained. Yeah, no, no, no. I'm, I'm happy with that. Actually, it reminds me that I do need to watch the documentary series about Britney Spears. Can't remember yes. Finding Britney Spears. I don't know what it's called. So some word, Britney Spears. They're all called something like that. It sounded um, like it might have been a bit of a hit piece based on her response to it. Um, okay, well, that's fine. I don't. I know nothing else about it except for that some people that I know who've watched it came out of it very sympathetic towards her. So that's oh, okay. Maybe yeah. maybe I've mis- misremembered that. I just I thought I read somewhere that that she said she watched it and it made her quite upset. But maybe that's just because it's depicting her traumatic in events. her life. Yeah, yeah. that are traumatic. Um, other than that, how how are you doing? Oh, I'm doing all right. Busy back at work again, and uh, you know, trying to watch as many movies as I can. This week I haven't. Really, we'll talk about it later, but I haven't uh, done so well. Uh, I we actually delayed the podcast uh, for a day because I needed to watch another movie. Uh, but then news of a football super league came out, and I was like. Well, I'm just watching this on repeat for the next... <laughs> yeah, watching the death of football as we know it. and then... refreshing, refreshing. Yeah. yeah, and then suddenly it was pulled back from the brink by Sky Sports, I guess. I, I don't like yeah. rooting for Sky Sports. It feels like, you know, better the devil you know kind of situation, really. Like, I, I just, I sent my brother a uh, voice message and it just said, I, I, I love the idea of these pundits being on Sky Sports, like saying how terrible of an idea it is. And then, and then, like, if anyone doesn't know, like, it's they, they were going to make a European Super League, which is going to be the death of football. That's all you need to know. Yeah. And uh, and basically, <laughs> I just sent my brother a voice message saying, "It's funny that all these pundits are saying how it's the death of football and like it's terrible, you know." But we all know if this happens next year, it's going to be like, "Welcome to Sky, the home of the yeah. European Super League." <laughs> yeah, and it's a little bit rich for Sky to talk about like boldface greed when it comes to football, when they're just like, "Yeah, we've had a monopoly on the games for." I don't know, the best part of 30 years now. But, we'll take but as I say, yet. better the devil you know. And we're we're back to just hating our football teams for other reasons rather than um, <laughs> for European Super League reasons. Um, for those of you who are new to the show, we're not talking about football this week. Maybe we will. I don't know. You're not the boss of me. But we talked we've got, about we've... football last week in the intro that I had to cut out, guys, yeah, because there was, a record, there was a recording error, but there was some football talk because my team beat Conrad's team. And I was yeah. very smug about it. So we well, I they, basically yeah, they didn't just didn't just beat us. They uh, get, they gubbed us. I believe uh, is what I would describe it as. <laughs> so there was no audience what listening to that because we had to cut it because of the recording issues. So therefore, I was just slagging off your team to your face, Conrad. I apologize for that now. Yeah. Well, I mean, we deserved it. We got we got a gubbing. Um, but yeah. So uh, if you're new to the show. We are doing a movie diary this week where we talk about all the movies we have seen since the last time we did one of these, which was only a week ago. We may have 
I'm still trying to figure out the, the scheduling of it, but we may have a themed episode coming up. Um, at that's, some up to, point that's up to me to sort of link the dot the T's and cross the I's there. Yeah, but keep it, keep, keep. <laughs> and just keep like the, just like that saying, I've screwed up the dotting of the T's and crossing of the I's. No, it's perfect. It sounded very deliberate. It sounded like a humorous spoonerism. Um, Halfway but, yeah, through, so, it turned into that. <laughs> Halfway through, it turned into that. Well, you know, that's that's therein lies the essence of comedy. Um, <laughs> So, Movie Diary this week. Um, if you're not already subscribed, please uh, consider doing so on YouTube. We are the Culture Cave. And on uh, podcasting apps, we are the best movie podcast ever. Get involved in the comments. Let us know what you have watched this week and what you think of the, the, the movies that we're going to discuss. Give the show a like. really does help. But other than that, I say let's talk about some gosh darn movies. Let's do it. Movies, friends. We're here to talk about them. There have been some good ones for me this week. Uh, Anthony and I have just had a had a brief discussion off air about how we're going to structure this because I've I've, I've got more than him. <laughs> yeah, let's just be honest about this it. Week. <laughs> yeah. Listen, there's no point hiding it. It's going to become self-evident. Um, so you're going if you don't like the sound of my voice in these podcasts, I apologise because you're about to hear a lot of it. But I'm gonna I'm gonna start us off, um, and I'm actually gonna start us off on a very positive note. Um, I should say before we get into this movie that uh, just a sort of general trigger warning for anyone who's kind of sensitive to discussions about like sexual assault. Um, the movie that I'm gonna, about to talk about is basically entirely based on that. Um, so, Timestamps in the description if you want to skip the film. Yeah, um, like we'll try to be as sensitive as possible, but there is like it, it's it's going to necessitate some discussion about it. So um, the first movie that I wanted to talk about this week was one I've been meaning to watch for ages i've heard it's great um and i've just been not it's not been available to me and i've, I've not gotten around to renting it um and that is uh 2020's uh promising young woman which was directed and written by emerald fennel who i've never seen anything from before mm. um and it's starring I, I suppose you'd say carrie mulligan is definitely the lead Bo burnham is kind of a co-ish lead yeah he's like the romantic co-lead but not really um and it has an absolute murderer's row of acting talent in it. Like the, the character actors who show up in this movie are off the hook in terms mm, of quality. Looks great, yeah. Um, and it's it's a it's it's a very polarizing movie. So and I and I kind of understand why. So to to, to briefly sort of um, establish what it's actually about. Basically, we we join the story uh, following uh, Carrie Mulligan's character Cassie, who is essentially going to clubs, uh, pretending to be absolutely off her face drunk. Um, getting guys to take her home and then revealing herself to be sober to essentially shame them into mm. changing their ways. And it's, it's it's kind of played... that Coming into this, I was expecting it to be uh, what's what's known as... Uh, uh, the subgenre is known as like rape revenge, which is essentially mm. um, a woman... Go, it's a very schlocky kind of genre, which I, I believe came into existence in like the exploitation era in the 70s and 80s, or early 80s, where a woman goes around killing men for like to exact vengeance for like a sexual assault that is visited on her. And that's kind of what I thought this was going to be. Um, mm. And to a certain extent, it is that um, in the early runnings of the film where Cassie is, is meeting um, these characters. So we get um, Adam Brody from the OC is yeah. the first character she, who she humiliates. Then you get Christopher Mintz plus AKA McLovin, um, yeah. who <laughs> I feel really bad for him, but like, I'm sure he's a good actor and he's been in lots of other stuff, but I will always think of him as McLovin. Yeah. Um, McLovin will come back later. Yeah. 
um <laughs> but uh yeah so he, he's in it as well and there is a sense of kind of triumph to her uh, her just humiliating these men um but then the movie like kind of brilliantly shifts into almost a romance mm. where she meets uh bo burnham's character who's a who's a um a, a medical student um that she went to school with and um we're, we're like finding out through um the movie that she was in medical school she drops out for some reason and there's this other character called nina who we suspect something horrible happened to and she drops out because basically no one took what nina was saying seriously um and uh and she took it upon herself to try and sort of exact revenge for what happened to her and she runs into bo burnham's character and it kind of turns into a romantic comedy almost mm-hmm. um and then it stopped very explicitly I, I, I don't want to get into spoilers here, but about two thirds of the way through the movie, it very explicitly stops being a romantic comedy um, because of developments in how involved Bo Burnham's character was with, with the sexual assault that took place of her friend. Um, and it just, it, it becomes, it kind of goes back into revenge territory, but it's, it's a very, very funny movie. Carrie Mulligan is incredible in it. And, and it has to strike this incredibly fine balancing act in trying to be funny while also depicting an incredibly bleak subject matter. And it's I think it's very polarizing because when it comes to rape revenge movies, a lot of the time what you're coming to it for is catharsis. You just want to see a woman getting revenge. Like it doesn't need to be particularly thoughtful or, or even particularly good that catharsis is kind of what makes that subgenre appealing and there is no catharsis here without spoiling anything mm. this is a very dark depiction of not just what the kind of sub subgenre of rape revenge movies uh tends to tends to trade in but of of kind of the culture that allows um men to to commit kind of like sexual assaults and and be, and be completely forgiven for it um i it, it is it is a stunning movie. It really is. But but I I have to always war. I have to warn people that if you're coming into this expecting it to be kind of, I don't know. A lot of the letterbox reviews were kind of like, oh, I thought this was going to be a real girl power thing, and it's it's just not that at all. Right, it's, okay. it, it's incredibly cynical. It's incredibly dark, um, and it's amazing. But it you won't feel good when you're done watching it. I will say that much for it. Yeah, but it's got a point to make, doesn't it? It's sort of what you, you're you're implying there. It's yeah, not ju- absolutely. It's not, yeah, it's not just like a girl power, we can do anything. It's actually, this is the real thing that's going on. And yeah, um, guess what? It's not fixed yet. So that we Yeah, of- I mean, it, it, absolutely. I mean, and basically, like, the, the way Carrie Mulligan's character develops, it's, it's you know, she she's getting one over on these men, but then she stops doing that when it becomes clear that that behavior is self-destructive and harming her chances of mm-hmm. a, proper rela- a proper relationship with Bo Burnham's character. Um, but then she goes back to it for reasons which become clear later in the movie. Um, but the the overwhelming message is essentially that that women are, to be blunt, just fucked either way. Like if they're if they're kind of the the, the female characters who allowed the abuses to take place either by kind of turning a blind eye or making excuses, they are they are punished in this movie. Um, Carrie Mulligan's character is punished in this movie when she is very actively trying to fight against it and Nina who we never never meet um, for reasons which become obvious um, mm. she is punished in this movie and I feel like it is it is it's brilliantly written but it is so dark um, and and so so cynical um, and, and one of the things that that really works I think about the cynicism of the the screenplay is that it's played against this very kind of garish 
um, like neon colored presentation. You know, she's wearing, mm. she's chewing bubble gum. She's got like, um, she almost looks like Harley Quinn. You know, she's got like a um, like she's lime doing, green yeah. and, and like pink nail varnish. And there, there's loads of like really kind of catchy girl power pop hits in the soundtrack, which um, I will That's admit. Where toxic, toxic comes from. Well, to- so there's this is one of the only schools where I've actually heard this. So there, there is Toxic does come into it, but it's actually the, the the soundtrack for Promising Young Woman is this mixture of a an original score by um, Anthony Willis, and it's like a lot of strings, a lot of orchestral stuff. It's fantastic, and he does a kind of violin cover of Toxic in that. But then you do get like actual licensed songs in it, which unfortunately led to a point. There's a musical montage between um, Carrie Mulligan and Bo Burnham. <laughs> Um, where I did announce out loud, oh, this song's quite catchy, and it turned out to be uh, Stars Are Blind by Paris Hilton, which is something I'm never going to live down um, in terms of my musical credibility. <laughs> Stars Are Blind. Um, I, haven't listened, yeah. I haven't heard of that song in a long time. I can't even remember. Like I remember there was a couple of Paris Hilton songs out, but I can't even remember what the name of them were. Maybe that is one that I knew. I, no, not... yeah, that was the one where she's kind of on a on a desert island and it's got like kind of an offbeat guitar. It's basically like kind of scar, but um, yeah, yeah. So that that sounds really interesting. I, I last week I talked about obviously uh, Bo Burnham's directorial debut, um, yeah, eighth, eighth grade, and it's interesting that the this film, the tone or the 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 thing that it's it's depicting in the in the fact that she's catching these men and like it's like sort of a very cynical take on uh on on that sort of a phenomena in 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 the world and sort of w- women are fucked either way it's interesting actually because bo burnham last week i now that we're in sort of this this everyone knows what we're talking about i can kind of talk about it in eighth grade last week the thing i was skirting around because i wasn't going to talk about it for too long i didn't want to really delve into the subject i was talking about a moment where um the character uh the main the main character kayla is hanging around with older older friends and on the way, and the way, on the way home, she um, is getting a lift home from one of the male friends. And the the older woman, who is a female friend of hers, who's a senior in high school, four years older than her, gets dropped off first. And there's a moment where the older woman, the older the older uh, student, says, "No, no, drop drop her off first. You drop her off first. I'm coming and stay in the car." And then Kayla pipes up. Obviously, the older woman is trying to protect her, and yeah. and 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 uh, Kayla pipes up and says, "No, it's okay. It's absolutely fine. It's absolutely fine." And then, so the obviously, she should have got out of the car, but the older woman then leaves leaves out of the car. Kayla gets taken home. The fella gets in, stops the car in the middle of the side of the road. He gets into the back back seat, and uh, the one of the most one one of the most um, I don't know. It's, I was gonna say cringe, but it's it's a cringe in the worst possible way. It's like cringe. Yeah. And, it's like negative cringe. It's like. Yeah. Um, What's the word? I, I can't. Like ominous or something. This ominous, yeah. This ominous feeling that there was like tension. It was like the tension yeah. was there, and the whole time, like as soon as she said, "No, no, it's okay. I can, like, you know, you can get out. I'll go home with this fella. That's okay." Uh, everyone who's watched that film is all of something. And what are you doing? Yeah. And this is the thing that I, people's negative, maybe negative thoughts towards a film like uh, Promising Your Woman that just fully goes for it and says, this is the real problem. This needs to be done. There's yeah. always going to be that view in the world where they're saying, why are you politicizing movies? You know, stuff, you know, like stupid stuff like that. And the mm-hmm. thing that I feel is if you want to think that it's politicizing something, and if you think it's like maybe being overblown out of proportion, watch 8th grade. And in that moment where that young girl says to the other, the other, the other woman, you go out, I'm okay by myself. And that fella stops the car, gets in the back. 
there's not one person who, when she decides to stay in the car by herself, no matter what where you fall in this argument, there's not one person who whose butthole doesn't clench. Oh, like, absolutely. <clears throat> I mean, yeah. that vulnerability is terrifying. Absolutely. You know, and imagine that was your young daughter in that situation. Yeah. Like it's it's, and I think that's. I think it's a really important thing to honestly depict. Uh, I, I think I understand why um, certain reviews I've seen of this have been like, you're depicting a situation in which rape survivors are punished. Um, and I do see that point. I think I don't think the movie kind of, I don't think the movie is glamour not glamorizing but i don't think the movie is is seeking to uh kind of get any kind of sense of satisfaction from the punishment of these i don't think it's a it's a fetishistic thing or um or anything like that i think it's just being realistic about the situation um that women often face and i think it's it's brutally realistic but it really really worked for me and 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 i know i shouldn't do this but to, to your point about you know politicizing movies um a few months back I talked about, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, oh, I've completely forgotten the name of the movie now. Uh, the the movie now, the um, Rosamund Pike movie where she plays like a woman who's a uh, who's uh, basically exploiting elderly yeah. people. Uh, yeah, and uh, Tyrion Lannister's in it. What's his name? Yeah, it'll come back to me in a second. Yeah. Um, but uh, I, I didn't particularly like that movie for other reasons, to be honest. But I saw reviews about that which accused it of misandry, of essentially being anti-man because every man in it was essentially um it's almost in a way that's actually kind of the reverse of this movie because in that movie rosamund pike's character basically gets one over on everyone in that movie man woman or child it doesn't i matter. care She's, a lot i care a lot. i care a lot that's it yeah um so uh, peter, she, Dink- she, peter dinklage is the other thing. peter dinklage <laughs> Tyrion lannister it, i mean come on we all know what you meant yeah. um whereas it, uh, in this um i haven't seen any reviews accusing it of being anti-man even though pretty much every male character in this is in some way complicit. I, I suppose part, possibly part of the reason for that is because every female character is partially complicit. So, you you, you know, you've got... I mentioned this murderer's row of talent, but you've got Clancy Brown, mm-hmm. like, is her, is, her, is her dad. Alfred Molina, Jennifer Coolidge, a.k.a. Stifler's mom, is in this. Alison Brie, mm-hmm. Max Greenfield from New Girl, Chris Lowell from Glow. And all of these characters are, to some extent, complicit in allowing this to happen you know even bo burnham's mm. character who's kind of positioned as this kind of lightweight you know he's a doctor he's a nice guy um you know he, he's a potential opportunity for salvation for i, I put that in inverted commas again for uh for cassie because yeah. you know he's a, a legitimate relationship that could maybe focus her energy towards something that's good for her even he isn't as perfect as he seems um and and you know talking about Bo Burnham's directorial debut last week, I think he's phenomenal in this movie. The way he's able to kind of very subtly turn from the kind of fairy tale pop music in the background love interest to something a little bit a little bit darker without it feeling unrealistic mm. um, is phenomenal. But uh, again, this this I can't recommend this to everyone because obviously it's dealing with some pretty heavy, pretty sensitive subject matter. Mm-hmm. But if, you, if you're in the mood for something very dark and very cynical with these kind of like wonderfully dovetailing themes and um, and, and plot lines, it was phenomenal. Uh, it's, it's well worth checking out. Yeah, and just to put a pin on the whole, because we, sort of, we sort of dribbled out of that politicizing discussion, to put a mm-hmm. pin in that, something that I've always believed is uh, everything is politicized if it matters. Oh, yeah. 
uh, politics are morals. So if you if you if you don't want politics in something, you only ever really have that reaction to to something when when you when you're when you you're maybe questioning whether you want to think about it enough more or yeah. not. You know you know what I mean. So I'm not going to say like everyone who who said that about this film is a terrible person. Obviously not. <laughs> But, uh, but 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 I think that um, when you feel uncomfortable about something being depicted in a film, it maybe speaks to a larger thing going on that maybe de- requires reflection, we'll say. Yeah, absolutely. I, and I think mm-hmm. it really annoys me the, like, keep your politics out of my art argument, to be honest, because all art is inherently political, even if you don't mean it to be. I, I always use the example, I don't know if you've ever seen it, but you know the Schwarzenegger movie Commando in the 80s? Um, uh, I know it. I haven't seen it. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a dumb movie, but I mean, even a movie like that has something to say about eighties politics and society, even though it's a stupid action movie and it doesn't yeah. mean to. So the, this idea that like you sh- you know some movies should just be uh, just just a bit of dumb fun, they can be a bit of dumb fun, and that's fine. But every every piece of art has something to say politically and so- uh, socially about the context in which it was made. Um, and something like this is super important for that, I think. And I think it only goes; it only seems to go one way. Not, 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 not entirely. Nothing, nothing is completely polar, polar, you know, in that way. But I will say that when you watch a film that's all about the American dream and about someone, you know, going and becoming rich, you know, no one was talking. Maybe they were. Maybe I'm just. Maybe I just didn't look up. But was people weren't talking about? I know people were saying about the Wolf of Wall Street was saying that that man shouldn't have been maybe glamorized in the way he was. But mm. I don't think anyone accused the Wolf of Wall Street of being a political thing. Whereas if you think about it, if you're betraying that lifestyle <laughs> in the political and like and like how great it is to have that much money and stuff, surely <laughs> surely that's politicizing it too, you know. Yeah. Like like every time you watch a sports film where the big the team wins at the end and it's all, you know, they buy all these huge players and like the film Draft Day you know, is that a political thing? Because like that's all, like that's a fully like you know corporate league that's like drafting these players and like they are they have they basically the players have to go where you draft them. Everything is political. Everything yeah. is political. So just yeah. because it's it's sort of against the grain of what Hollywood has been doing uh, historically to shine the light on issues that haven't been you know that haven't had yeah. the light shine on them doesn't mean it's not important. So no, no absolutely. I just yeah I love the like keep your politics out of my art. It's like are you sure you know what art is. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's kind of been it's kind of important to art really. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so that that's promising young woman. Um, well worth checking out. But you know just go in pre warned. Um, and I, and I'm gonna <clears throat> I'm gonna lighten the tone now. Yeah, we're gonna bring it back up. We brought it da- not brought it down because that's a discussion worth having. I don't want to do that a disservice. There but, better not be any politics in this one, Conrad. Oh, listen, if you are sick. <laughs> of big fish eating people in lakes then th- this movie's got a message for you um this is one of the worst movies i've ever seen uh, I'm, g- I'm gonna lead lead with that i watched it because my partner is a big fan of movies where you have like monsters in the sea eating people like jaws and and s- stuff like that the meg um, the meg exactly like the meg you know she's a big fan of the meg um we saw this. I thought I, I spotted it on Netflix, and I was like, "Oh, that looks like your kind of movie. Let's watch that together." And it's got Griffin Newman in it, who I know from The Tick, um, the, the live action version of The Tick. Um, so I was like, "Oh, he's funny. Um, we'll watch this." This is 2013's Beneath. Um, it, so this is—I don't even know where we know where to start with this movie. This is one of the most incomprehensibly badly written movies I have ever seen. I don't understand 
why any of the characters in this do what they do at any time. Um, so that there's there's one character who the movie opens with him in this weird kind of shack full of like fetishes and stuff like that, and, and he 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 grabs like this kind of shark tooth or well as it turns out it's probably giant fish tooth i don't know what kind of fish it is um necklace off of the off of the wall and heads out and it turns up it turns out he is meeting up with a group of high school friends to go to hang out at a cabin for a weekend or something um and there's there's tension in the group there's love triangles there's all sorts of things going on um but this character who's in this creepy cabin like when we first meet him full of skulls and weird models and picking up this necklace he tries to give this necklace to a girl that he's clearly interested in and tells her that it will protect her um she she rejects it says oh, I, I don't know what you're talking about you're being weird and then later in the movie he explains that he doesn't actually know uh he didn't actually know about what turns out to be the the sort of crux of the movie which is there's a giant fish in the lake and it's going to kill you all mm-hmm. um but this necklace protects you from that giant fish. But he doesn't know that the fi- the necklace was going to protect you from the giant fish. So why was he trying to give it to her for protection at the beginning of the movie? And then, to, and then to add like add insult to injury, the 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 fucking magic of this necklace is just never explained. It's just like I don't know. It's a magic necklace that that stops the fish from attacking you. It, it just never like it, it's never mentioned. It just it's just a MacGuffin that is magical for for some reason that gets allows whoever's holding it to get back to shore safely um it, it, like none of the characters in this movie seem to like each other which begs the question why are you all going on a fishing trip together um and they're all just complete pieces of shit who are cheating on each other or lying to each other which begs the question who am i supposed to root for in this movie personally i was rooting for the fish from about the 20 like 20 minutes in and it, it, it's just is staggeringly bad um it, it, i mean it's, so the plot insofar as there is one is essentially they go out on the lake some of them decide they want to start swimming on the lake um and they, they get attacked uh and then they keep using their oars to try and fight off this fish that's attacking them and like jamming it in its mouth which it then breaks so then they can't move their, their boat apparently because that's the only way to paddle is with two oars um, and they have to start voting people off of the boats, like based on like a, I guess, a, a grim meritocracy. This to is, be sounds like, like a, this sounds like an episode of Survivor. It is very much an episode of Survivor, uh, <laughs> and in fact, actually, the the kind of acting quality that you're going to see here is on par, I would say, with Survivor. Um, so there's a, there's a great bit like after after the first uh, the first death, um, and in fact, it, it recurs several times throughout the movie. Um, one of the characters just shouts at the fish, "What do you want?" Which is like, what? I mean, it's a it's a fish. I don't know. Well, like, it wants to it wants to eat you, I guess. Did it answer? No, it did nothing. It did... like it just swam around because it's a fish. <laughs> um, so how big are the, how big are these fish? It's not like that. You know, it's not even that big. It's about the size of a tuna, and it, is, it's got is like it just big one buggy fish, eyes. or is it like a is it just, one, just one fish? Just one fish. One, one fish. kind of big bug-eyed fish. It looks like something out of a 50s sci-fi. I loved it. It's just terrible. Cast, just cast a line. Yeah, well, exactly. And actually, they do They do at one point... They could have caught it. I'm convinced of that. But there's also a great bit where they try to sort of distract it by pushing the body of uh, one of their now dead friends who gets bitten and then bleeds out in the boat. They, they push her into the into the lake and say... She's going to a better place while she is while her corpse is devoured by this <laughs> by this fish. It's like, who wrote this? 
Did you understand what you're writing? Um, just put like just... a crab, just like a, a crabbing net, or like you know a crab catching net, just anything. in the water. There's a bit where they they decide to try and distract it with food, uh, so they're like popping open like packets of crisps and just throwing them into the water. That's all it wanted. It just wanted some food. Yeah, it just wanted some salt and vinegar crisps. It is a, <laughs> this is a nightmare. This movie and it's the 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 like the the the, the pacing is is terrible. The the way it's shot is insane. So like basically they you know they go through this Lord of the Flies voting each other off the boat thing, um, and. It's clear from the way it's shot that they are at no point in this movie more than thirty seconds swim away from the edge of the shore. Like, but they keep on throwing people into the lake and then paddling with their hands and then having to stop and vote other people off because apparently they're not moving fast enough. And they also keep on being like, "Oh, we're we moving in circles. I don't know if we're moving in a straight line." When it's like you can see the shore, just like aim for <laughs> like the, the the going in circles thing only works if you're in like the middle of the ocean and can't don't have a point of reference when you can see the shore just like oh aim for that tree it doesn't make any i just uh, this is one of the worst movies i've ever seen it was i guess funny because of how bad it was but it was it was hard it was hard work watching this well the, the director of this um is a fella called larry fessenden and yeah it seems like he's made a career. Now, there's one or two things I'm seeing here uh, which are a bit different. Like, he did uh, The Dead Don't Die with Bill Murray, which was kind of like a horror thing, too. Yeah. He did The Mountain. Was that, the one with, um, that was the one with Kylo Ren, right? The Dead Don't Die. Yeah, yeah. I actually want to see that. I, I, I like Adam Driver um, yeah, as an actor. Adam Driver, that's it, yeah. Yeah. Um, he also did The Mountain, which uh, which had, what do you call him in it? Um, Jeff Goldblum. I was going to do this. Couldn't remember his name. Um <laughs> <laughs> uh, was that a dinosaur? No, no, that's Jeff Goldblum explaining something. Um, oh, I, oh, I see. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Um, so he's had a few top high spots, it seems, but for the most part, this director seems to have just every year he seems he turns to have, out a, a stinker. Yeah, he, like he, he seems to very much. Well, he was an actor in those things, so he's, he's an actor and a director, but he oh, seems okay. to be very much into the the low budget horror. And he's been just been putting stuff out since the eighties. Yeah, I, I, I've never heard of uh, Larry Fessenden before. I don't think I've ever seen one of his films. I don't think I'll ever watch one again, based on this. Um, it he got was a just... short film, two thousand eight, called Santa Claus. Has but Claus? Oh claws... uh, yeah, you, you two, give you two guesses how Claus is spelled. Yeah, okay. You, you, I feel you like know that's Fessenden. not the only. <laughs> that's that's not the only horror movie that's done that. I feel there is. <laughs> I'm sure there's another one that's done that, but yeah, I, that, I mean, it's it's really hard to to fuck up like a monster movie. I feel like you just have to make the kills interesting. Don't get too bogged down in the character drama. And Don't talk about something... not knowing where you are when you're in the middle of a lake. Yeah, when you can clearly when you, when the lake is at most a minute across. Like it's not Lake Victoria here, guys. It's it's you know you're you're like it's 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 a, more of a pond than a lake, really. Um, <laughs> But but he this is just it's staggeringly bad. It's incompetent at every level, and I was sad to see Griffin Newman in this because he's really funny in The Tick, and he was shocking in this. It was nice actually to see. Uh, have you ever seen Ace Ventura: Pet Detective? Oh, hundreds of times. Well, you know, ten, you know, tens um, of times. You know his landlord in the uh, Yes Satan bit. Like, yeah, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. I think that's start. him. Um, yeah, that, that that's uh, a guy called Mark Margolis, and he shows up in this for about five minutes um, and suggests 
So I'm not fully sure what he was suggesting, but he seems to imply that there's some relationship between the kid with the necklace and the fish in the in the river, as if. And my partner thought this as well as me, so it's not just me being mental. The way that it's described, I could have sworn that he was implying that the fish was that ch- that kid's father, um, which I don't understand how that works, but that seemed to be what the movie was implying to both of us. Yeah. Uh, okay. It does sound a bit bit curious. Uh, this film, I've never. It's not really done the rounds of of movie so bad. It's good. No. So it's it's maybe just really bad. Oh, that uh, that actor, um, Mark Margolis, uh, I knew I'd heard his name before. Yes, he was in Ace Ventura: Peck Detective, Mister Shikadance, but he was also yeah. <laughs> Mister Shikadance. Yeah, yeah. But he was also. Uh, do you remember him from Breaking Bad? Yeah, he was the guy in the wheelchair in Breaking Bad. With <laughs> yeah, the, yeah, yeah. Which is, yeah, it's great. I like. I, he he's he's a bit like. Um, He's a bit like Kevin Dunn, who he talks about back, all the way back. We talks about Small Soldiers, uh, where he just shows up in stuff, and it's like, oh, we know what kind of characters this guy's going to play. He's going to be a grumpy old man because he's looked that way for about fifty years by the looks of things. Yeah, like always in Breaking Bad, whenever they do like the flashbacks, and it's and it's him when he's younger. It's like, hang on, I thought this man was ninety years old. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, they d- they do not have to do any kind of, or they chose not to do any de aging on Mark Margolis at all. It's just like he's looked this way since the seventies. Like that's 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 what he looks like. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and actually, I've just seen it here. He is he's eighty one now. He's he's around eighty one, eighty two years old. So he's oh, not okay. far away from ninety, actually. Um, no. Okay, so that was your second one. Uh, yep. Now you did say that you've watched more than me this week. That's true. So everyone, it's happened, guys. It's like it's it's the second worst it could be. Due to my uh, my my busy life with lots of things going on, family work, everything like that, I've watched one film this week. Um, nice. So it's going to be a cracker. I've tried to contribute to the conversation with Conrad so far. I will continue to do so with, with it as well, <laughs> just to break up that uh, lovely velvety tone of Conrad's voice with my uh, very pitchy Australian coming in. But hopefully, <laughs> hopefully, um, you know, because I'm still a part of this podcast, Conrad. I still part you are. Of you're it. a welcome addition. A welcome addition. Like we're, we'll. I'm I'm looking forward to discussing this next one. I, I do know what it is. I'm not going to give it away, but don't <laughs> well, don't gonna, you worry about that. Well, I'm going to say that uh, whether to disappoint or not disappoint, because I've only got one to watch, one watch this week. I'm imagining people will like it if they didn't know what it was. Um, mm. Whereas obviously everyone's expecting me to watch Iron Man three. We didn't watch that this week yet. We're going to watch that for next week. Yeah. Uh, so I think next week is going to be a movie diary. But the week after that, we'll talk about that. Um, so I'm I'm uh so I'll watch Iron Man three for next week. We didn't get a chance. Sorry guys. Um, I'm actually gonna be honest with you. I kind of cheated. Uh, I I watched uh the first three quarters of the Avengers for last week, and then I and then with Ema, and then Ema wasn't able to watch the rest. So I finished it by myself, and then we went back this week and finished off the Avengers, which Ema hasn't seen the rest of it yet. Oh okay. So I kind of watched the Avengers kind of as well uh this week, but we'd already talked about that last week. So. Anyway, talk about again. It's a great movie. It's a very good movie. Not as good as the next one. Actually, no, I can't even keep that up. Um, <laughs> so the film I watched this week is uh, the little-known classic. Uh, no, not a classic. It is a it is the film I love you, Beth Cooper. Yeah. Um, now I don't know why I chose to watch this. Um, I was sort of all by myself. You know, the kids are in bed. Emo is sort of doing some work in the other room, but also just you know tending towards bed. And I thought, yeah. i got to get at least one film watched for the podcast this week. So I went, <laughs> I, I went looking through Disney's uh, new Star um, 
app or whatever you call it. It's a Disney mm. Plus app, but Star with on the on the Disney Plus app because they have lots of adult content there now. So I was looking through there, trying to trying to see something to watch, and I have no idea why. Uh, maybe it was Hayden Panettiere's lovely blue eyes. Maybe it was sure. the fact that Chris Columbus is the director. Something drew me to watching I Love You, Beth Cooper. I have no idea. Um, so I just put it on. And let me tell you, it was a load of dog shit. Um, <laughs> Who could have seen that coming? Yeah. Like, okay, so Chris Columbus. You might you might remember Chris Columbus for his directorial uh, ventures, such as Harry Potter 1, Harry Potter 2. A.K.A. the worst Harry Potter movies. <laughs> yep, exactly. Uh, the Help. Um, I never saw The Help. Well, he's seemed, a, he was a like producer a... of The Help, to be fair. I don't oh, know okay. if he actually directed it. Let's just double check here. Uh, no, he didn't. No, he, no, he, didn't. He, he, uh, he did Rent. Um, he did everyone's favourite Pixels. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, okay. He did Bicentennial did, uh, Man, which my partner yeah. loves, and I hate that movie. Uh, I, I have a soft spot so for much. it just because of nostalgic reasons. I watched it when I was quite young. Ha- how dare that goddamn movie be as long as it is? That's my, I that's haven't, my opinion. I haven't watched it since I watched it on VHS at the age of like 10. So I need to <laughs> yeah. pro- probably rewatch that. Um, Nine Months, which is a Hugh Grant classic. Uh, which yep. I actually I actually like more than I should, uh, which we know about like other Hugh Grant stuff as well. Uh, and Mrs. Doubtfire, Mrs. Doubtfire, Home Alone two. That Home Alone and Mrs. Doubtfire are probably his biggest, and the things yeah, that have sure. kept him getting work all these years. Um, <laughs> yeah, this was a weird departure from his usual films. I mean, maybe you could say Rent was the most sort of off brand for Chris Columbus in his career. Mm. Or maybe the upcoming Five Nights at Freddy's will be his oh, most shit, is he doing brand. that? Yeah. Oh my god. Chris Columbus, what are you doing? Yeah, so in 2000 maybe and... Maybe, I have to remind myself again now. 2009. 2009, he decided for some reason to make like a coming-of-age teen film. It's one of those classic, like, you know, we've only got one night left of high school. You know, like yeah. that, that, that type of film. Yeah, Chris Columbus thought he, you know, the, the genre wasn't full up yet. Like, yeah, he had something to add. He had something to add to it. So he he made this film, and it starts off with uh, a character who uh, goes by the name of, let me see, Dennis Kuverman, um, classic, okay. uh, played by Paul Rust. And I, I just want to say, Paul Rust, at the time of making this film, was thirty years old. Um, <laughs> that's textbook absolutely textbook for a high school coming of age movie but it wasn't like it wasn't like tom welling when he made smallville who was like meant to be 14 and he was like 28 yeah. like like party is thinking oh maybe he is an alien after all like paul rust here like the like you know like sometimes like they'll sh- they'll shoot what uh the, the 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 scene from one angle and it's like maybe maybe he looks like an 18 year old the makeup's done in a certain way maybe and then it cuts to a different angle of the same scene, and he just looks forty years old. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, I'm looking at pictures. To be honest, I don't really know Paul Rust from anything, but I've looked at some pictures of him now, and uh, admittedly, that's twelve years on. But it's like this man could be in his fifties now. Like he is, he has not aged gracefully. Let's say, but he's you know when when you're thinking of a love interest for for the young and upcut. Well, no, she's not upcoming really. She was in. Uh, she was, she was like in at that point. She was, she was in Heroes. She was, she was in Remember the Titans. Like, let's be honest. Um, so no, I don't. She, I do not remember her from. Ironically enough, from Remember the Titans. She's like, the little I, girl. She's the little girl. The little girl who's like uh, the 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 daughter of the, the assistant coach. 
Oh, okay. Yeah, fine. Uh, like, she also so it's plays not, the babysitter. She also plays the babysitter in uh, what do you call it? Uh, Malcolm in the Middle as well. Um, oh, okay. But anyway, so she she was sort of really in her heyday due to heroes and yeah. stuff. Like there was a time, yeah. like the Joseph Gordon-Levitt Hayden Panetti Panettiere years were a dream. Oh, let's be honest. It was, that um, was that, those were halcyon days. Like <laughs> when when Joseph Gordon-Levitt had the world at his feet and Hayden Panettiere was in every film. Well, yeah, in fact, she, was, she wasn't in every film, but she was in she was in enough films that yeah. that we were like, she's going to be the next big thing. Yeah, she was the world's sweetheart at that point, and um, yeah. Of course, you cast her as a as a cheerleader. So she plays uh, Beth sure. Cooper, the one sure. who is loved uh, in the title. And Paul Rust plays Dennis Cooperman, who is a nerd, of course. Yeah. And um, he wears glasses, he, so that goes without saying. Yep, and he he gets to give the speech at the uh, at the graduation, which what do they call that? I, I don't know. Oh, like the yeah i think that is that what a valedictorian is i've heard that word before i've never really asked what a valedictorian actually is yeah well anyway uh, he gives a speech and um his friend convinces him uh his friend's name rich munch by the way um convinces him to (laughs) (laughs) uh convinces him to give a speech and in that speech talk about how you know we all should say things that we've always wanted to say but never had the, the the balls to say and okay. he says, "I love you, Beth Cooper." And she's never talked to him. Um, and he talks about how he he was like, you know, he sat behind her in every class, and he's in love with her. Now, first off, this has the massive trope of teen films. <sighs> he doesn't love her. Of just declaring unwanted affection. Yeah, he's infatuated with her, right? Okay. Her name is Noel. I've had <laughs> yeah, a dream. Yeah. That's yeah, exactly, just... exactly it, right? <laughs> so he loves her, and wouldn't you know it? Like, like any, like, see, in in, a re- in real life, if this guy did this, this nerd who'd never talked to the cheerleader, head cheerleader, laughed before, out of the school, laughed out of the school, whose bo- boyfriend is like a two year, two years older guy who's in the army, who's come <laughs> back, he's, he's, he, of course he is, he's in the army, he's, he, and and uh, he's come back just for, just for the night, he's watching her get graduated, and um, and and he doesn't get beaten up, he, well, I mean, he almost does, he he does, he, he like, they try very hard to, let's just say that. But I, I bet rest... her army boyfriend's a real piece of shit. Yeah, like the school just to make it easy. You don't don't make that character complicated at all. Just make him a bad guy. That's the weird thing as well is all the bullies, like the bullies, like you know, um, were like these army guys f- who were like three years older. The rest of the year group, like in in the school, the rest of like the the cohort, just seemed to be just nothing like neutral they didn't didn't care like what's the chances of like there was like 400 people there what's the chances of not having a little click of bullies in that you know why someone would take it if you announce that you're that you love a girl you've never spoken to before at like at a a, you know like a public speaking event you will be bullied mercilessly at at high school i imagine yeah so basically what it starts a film of like the last night. Of, co- of course, of course, we all know how it goes. They end up together. Of course, they do. Um, Hayden Penetier and her friends come around to their party, which is literally just them and a load of snacks. Um, mm. And and then the boyfriend is chasing them through the night, and it's just this rip roaring fun night where they're all running through the thing, discovering their sexuality, uh, having showers together. Um, of course, uh, D- Dennis Kuverman, the nerd guy announces whenever he sees um beth cooper kiss the guy from the uh, uh the guy who works at the drugstore this like 30 year old overweight man she she kisses him not on screen i will say that's you know some audiences don't want to see that um she kisses him to get 
so, so that they were able to drink the beer. They can get the beer for the shop. And he okay. says, aloud in the car, amongst her two friends and his friend, Rich Bunch, and there's like, so there's five of them in the car. He says aloud, she's not Beth Cooper. Um, so he ha- idealized her in his mind. Yeah. Um, and it's sort of, it's funny, like you were talking about that uh, promising young woman thing. There's not really any, there's not really anything in this film uh, in terms of sexual abuse or anything like that. But there is this idea that the, like the nerd sort of felt that the nerdy fella who, he, who almost feels entitled yeah. to, to the, you, uh, you I'm, not the love. Yeah, I'm not going to say the word Conrad, but there's a nerdy fella who, who hasn't really never talked to this one before, but he, he almost in a way feels entitled to her attention okay um yep. so i'll leave that there but there is that feeling in 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 this film um definitely okay is it funny no <laughs> okay are, that's are, good are the, are the character start. are the characters lovable no i'm not gonna lie it took me back to my t- teenage years when i was watching hayden pinetier on the screen i mean it's, she's got a she's got a weird weird thing weird thing like it, there's like three or four, i've never watched her in nashville so i don't know if she's still the same but it's like every line she delivers is the exact same. You know, she like, I'm not going to say that she's a bad actor, but there's something about her which just, I don't know. One of those I actors think, that's, I can never I see feel her like as her, her career has reflected her talents, I'm going to say. And I, I'm openly not a big fan mm-hmm. um, of that Nashville show. I think I said to you before we started recording that I really like the movie Nashville. Um, it's, it's this like amazing kind of cross-section of uh, kind of American society and culture in the 70s that just kind of jumps between all these these interweaving stories and plot lines. And as far as I can tell, the TV show is what if there was an old country singer lady and she yeah. was trying to get her groove back and Hayden Panettiere was stealing her guitarist, which I was like, that doesn't happen in the movie. I don't understand why this is based on Nashville at all, to be honest. <laughs> or maybe it's just another show. Is it actually based on it or is it just another show named I think, uh, after I, a city? I, 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 I don't know uh, that's t- to be fair but I assumed it was because Nashville also kind of like has politics and a lot of like country music in it so I assumed mm-hmm. it was pulling from the same source material but for all intents and purposes they are not related in any way beyond both being set in Nashville yeah yeah okay so I, I, I will say I don't understand why this film was made because 2009 let's look two years before that was the seminal uh like I'm not the seminal actually it wasn't maybe the best one ever made but it was definitely the one was like right okay we've done this in a new way let's stop two years before this super bad came out super bad mm. is for me one of the best and should be in my opinion a full stop on the genre of these one last night of high school films like the, mm. i'm not gonna say there aren't other good ones of course there are but i don't really know what chris columbus is thinking he's adding to the genre here in 2009 two years after there's nothing it's not it's not very risque it's 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 not very funny he tries in a way to have okay there's a storyline in this film and this is the last thing i'll say about it because i'm talking too much about this crap film um (laughs) there's a storyline in this film rich munch i've mentioned it before rich munch played by jack carpenter hmm in the very beginning of the film, whenever uh, Dennis Kuverman is giving his speech and he's talking all about um, how he loves Beth Cooper and he's going around other people in the school and saying things that he always wanted to say about them. But he's being really mean, right? Yeah. Really really mean guy. Um, he says something about his best friend 
He says, why doesn't he just come out the closet? In front of the school. Okay. In front of the school. Oh, and then for the rest of the film. Now, now, I, 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 I don't know, this is very hot water here, right? I don't know where to, where to tread on this. Because I'm just going to come out and say something. I understand a correlation between people feeling that men who are a little bit more camp, a little bit more feminine, trend towards being homosexual. I understand people's imaginings of that, right? I just want to say, this character, there's no way of knowing what his sexuality is from his performance. Yeah. Okay? And even at that, there's no way of knowing anyone's sexuality from from their performance in either direction. But I'll just say... There was nothing. Even he wasn't even. They weren't even doing the stereotypical Hollywood. This is a gay man. They weren't even doing that. They, yeah. he, they just didn't even car- have the decency to to make him a stereotype. The, yeah, the whole way through the film, everyone just kept saying. Even not even people who weren't his friends just kept saying, you know, he's gay, and he's just like, what? What are you talking about? It's like you're gay. It's like they didn't want to actually put the work into the character, so they just had everyone else say that he's gay. And then at the end of the film, when he comes out and says, you know, I think I'm gay. It's like, oh, he is. He admitted. He's admitted it to himself. He's come out of the closet. It's like, why on earth are we prodding this man? Why are we like forcing this man to come to terms with his sexuality for our account? Like, yeah, why, yeah. Why Don't are we out other people? It's not a we, cool thing to do. Why? And, and at the end of the thing, it's like, it's like, you know, I'm, I'm gay or whatever. He's like, yeah, well, there we go. And he gives him a hug or whatever. I'm like, mate, you can't act like the cool friend now. You said in front of the school at the start <laughs> yeah. that he needs to come out of the closet. As well as that, Conrad, in a very interesting way, uh, take on um, this like, sort of coming to terms with his sexuality, this man coming out as gay, <laughs> in the, the climax of this film, no pun intended, he actually has sex with two women. Okay? Okay. And they were building it up and building it up and building it up he's gay and he's not going to feel any, any attraction towards them. He was in the shower with them and they asked him, like, why, did, why didn't you, why didn't you, you know, look like you were in the shower with women, if you get what I mean, right? Yeah. Um, why didn't you sort of, you know... Why weren't you aroused? Why didn't, yeah, yeah why didn't you rise to meet us? Um, <laughs> and he was like, you know, oh, I was just trying to be a gentleman. I was just trying to be a gentleman. And then they started, like, these two women, you know, as always happened, like, last day of secondary school, last day of high school, Conrad, of course... There's going to be two women throwing themselves at you. Every young man who gets this from. Yeah, but we all we, we all experience that. We all experience that. But basically, they they start they start like sort of getting on him, we'll say. And there's a moment uh, where you're like, okay, so this is going to be the big big finish of the film. He's not going to feel anything to these two women trying to. But no, they do have sex, and he he does get through it. And uh, and then it's like, and then they're like, I thought you were gay. He's like, uh, well, I thought I was too. Literally. They say that, and then the next scene, or two scenes later, or whatever, he, they, they, the girls drop them off. It's like the big end of the film, and he just turns to his mate and goes, "I think I'm gay." But <laughs> okay, what's going well, on here, Chris Columbus? You know, this I, like it's just such a those kind of plot lines are always so lazy. <laughs> like I, I, you know, it's it, it's just, and it's a very like kind of mid to late two thousands trope of being like, mm-hmm. oh, you know, we're like slightly progressive but not progressive enough to actually write this character in a decent way. So we're just going to have them come out at the end of the movie and that's going to be their happy ending, regardless of what's come before it um, yep. in this movie. Yep. Yeah, I mean, this sounds like a train wreck. Uh, it didn't make its budget back, fortunately. I just had to go and check to make sure, I like to kind of reaffirm my faith in humanity that um, 
that it didn't make it. Well, I've just given it a view. <laughs> yep. There you go. So somewhere, somewhere like a, a five dollar check has just been mailed to Chris Columbus, and that's gonna <laughs> and that's gonna that's gonna feed him for another day. I've just funded Five Nights at Freddy's. Basically. Yeah, exactly. That's that's straight into the Five Nights at Freddy's fund. Um, there is actually, funnily enough, I was looking through the cast of this of, of um, I Love You, Beth Cooper, and I thought I recognised the face of a character. So uh, there's a character in this movie called. So I've not seen it, but her name is Valley Woolly. Does that okay. ring any bells to you? Um, okay, I think it's one of the friends, possibly. Okay, yeah, I mean she she's a she's pro- she was probably like quite a young woman at the time, but she's played by uh, Marie Avdaropoulos. Um, and funnily enough, she was also in a movie that I watched this week, which it, th- that's that's pretty unlikely to be honest, considering yeah. when this movie was made. So I think that's quite a natural segue into me talking about. Um, another terrible movie that i watched this week uh which is 2020's jujitsu um it's directed by dimitri uh, logothetis who I, I i hasn't really done too much before it's also written by him and someone else called jim mcgrath and it's um it's a it's a bad nicholas cage film that's the that's that's kind of what i'm what i'm gonna lead with on this um yeah it's so okay the, f- the first thing I, I'll, I'll say about this movie and so uh, actually the the very first thing I'll say to explain that segue is that uh, Maria Agropoulos plays an army intelligence agent who's basically just woman in that film. <laughs> like that's that's her that's her character. Um, she she doesn't seem to really serve any other purpose than that, and it's she's not a particularly good fit for the role either. So it's not, not there's nothing really lost in that. Um, but but so uh, the next thing I will say is I I can't claim to be an expert on any form of martial arts or indeed physical mm. exercise for that matter but um i don't think jujitsu involves like sword fighting with an alien that is essentially the predator um but that's what this movie is about <laughs> so um just to briefly give our give our listeners and and you a, a glimpse into what how i followed the plot of this movie uh basically a comet turns up we see Nicolas Cage in like a rice paddy hat scouring uh, the sea <laughs> for a man who has been chased by shurikens on an island and has thrown himself off a cliff um, into the sea. Nicolas Cage finds him um, <clears throat> and uh, gives him to some Burmese fishermen who uh, nurse him back to health. He then staggers out of their home into an army, a US army base in Burma um, but he, he has amnesia and doesn't remember who he is. The, the, the US Army stuff is almost completely irrelevant to the entire plot because essentially what happens is um, he's found by this gang of martial artists, almost all of whom are very good martial artists, including the lead, actually. Um, and it, it, it's revealed that he has the chosen jujitsu, um, <laughs> which is what will be required to fight an intergalactic alien called Brax, who turns up, I think it's every 10 years or something like that, when, when the comet turns up to fight the, the jujitsu masters of Earth. Um, and um, if, if, he do, if they don't fight him, um, then he will basically destroy the Earth or something. Um, and... If that sounds like a nonsense plot, then you're absolutely right. I'm right you know there with it's, you. It sounds like it sounds like it's like a film called uh, Basketball, and uh, the only thing that has anything to do with basketball is that the main character uses 
a ball like bomb to throw at people. Yeah, that's that's that is how much like I, I'm pretty sure jujitsu is like grapples and holds. <laughs> and at one point in this movie, the main that's character judo. does a that's, that's judo, I think. Well, I think jujitsu and judo are quite similar to each other. Okay, I might okay. be completely wrong, but I mean, at one point in this movie, the main character does a literal hurricane rana. Which I was like, that's da- that is definitely not a jujitsu move because that's, that's a that's, that's lucha libre, which isn't a real martial art. Um, so, so the lead, the first thing I'll say about this movie is if you actually just look at it in the cold light of day, look at the cast. The lead is played by a guy called Elaine Moosey, who was just a stuntman before this, and you can tell he's obviously a very good martial artist. He is a garbage actor. Um, and, and you've got Nicolas Cage just turns up, chews the scenery, collects his paycheck in the the way that Nicolas Cage does. I'll come back to him in a second because his scene in this is pretty, or his scenes in this are pretty special. Um, even as someone who doesn't really like the lol, Nicolas Cage does bad movies meme, the, he was actually quite funny in this. But um, <laughs> the, the like the martial artists they've got, like Tony Jaa from Ong Bak. Uh, oh Rick yeah, I Yoon, love Ong Bak. T- yeah, Ong Bak's very good. Uh, Rick Yoon, who's in like Ninja Assassin, he's in a load of a load of like kind of Western Eastern crossover um, martial arts movies. Yeah. Frank Grillo, who uh, is in a lot of the Marvel movies, um, he's he's great. Um, and th- there's a ton of really talented martial artists in this, and they try to shoot it in the sort of John Wick style, like the wide angle um, shots to let the the choreography speak for itself. Mm-hmm. Um, the choreography is decent, uh, but the 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 cgi blood effects are terrible there's way too much shaky cam which kind of defeats the whole object of doing the wide shots in the first place because it's kind of hard to follow things and then there's some bizarre in fact there's one in particular bizarre fight scene early on where the 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 camera shifts from a wide angle shot into a first person shot of the main character as he's fighting he gets punched so the fist comes directly towards the screen the camera falls down but then we see the character who's first person we were just inhabiting you carrying point, on you fighting. You mean point of view, like actually point yeah, it's of like view. A po- yeah, yeah, it's like a point of view shot. So it gets punched, the camera falls down, but then we see the character whose point of view we were just in, without a cut, carry on fighting in the shot while the camera is <laughs> on the ground. Then the camera gets back up, jumps back into the character who is fighting, and and then and then starts following him around, but then it but then the character steps out of the point of view again. It's like that doesn't work. You can't you can't say this is a point of view shot and then without a cut just be like I stopped being a point of view shot now. Okay, it's just it's so jarring and a, an awful decision. I don't know who who um who made that decision, but but like they that's were... complete that's mental to me. So what what are they imagining? Like so we're yeah, just... like it just it makes no sense. Is that like, are we in point of view or not? Whenever you're in the head of them and 